Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. You know, once in a while in this media business, you meet somebody whose work you really admire. My list would include Peter Jennings, Sam Donaldson, Ted Koppel, and Gwen Eiffel. And also, near the top of my list, and still going strong, Soledad O'Brien, whom I got to know when we were both working over at CNN. Soledad moved on from CNN to create her own media empire. She's a frequent guest on PBS. She hosts the show Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien on Hearst Television. She's chair of the Starfish Media Group, which she founded to support young women journalism students. And she's an active presence on Twitter, where she has some 1.1 million followers. But as you'll see, Soledad's not only a leading member of the media, she's also one of its most outspoken critics. I was able to reconnect with Soledad online, social distancing, a couple of days ago. Soledad, we were together at CNN. It's good to reconnect after a few years. A million years ago. My <laughs> pleasure. It's nice to chat with you. I feel like we should be doing this over over cocktails and not doing it as we're socially isolated. Well, I don't know about, about you, but I have my cocktail right here, you see. so <laughs> I literally have my cocktail in my hand as well. So I guess technically we're doing it a, a separately together. <laughs> That's good. Cheers. Cheers. So... I just I just ended up watching about 45 minutes of Donald Trump's latest w- briefing from the Ugh. White House, and it was the same old stuff about how great we're doing and the vaccine's on its way and the new medication's on its way and the hospital ship is on its way, and we're doing more than any other country on the planet, he says. Should we... Should, and this, of course, is on all the cable channels. Should they even be televising these daily press briefings? Listen, at the end of the day, um, I think journalists and journalism should be about serving the public, right? I think whenever you're confused or trying to figure out what the right thing to do is, you go back to, well, what's our mission? What, What are we here for? And the mission of journalism is to serve the public. And I think everyone would say these press conferences are full of untruths, of lies, of exaggerations of mischaracterizations, right? Literally everyone has to be followed by a, here's a fact check of what the president just said, and all of these things are untrue. And so I think it's become quite clear that no, of course not. We shouldn't be covering them live. If you have some desire to do, you know, if you feel like, hey, the world or our viewers need to see this, then you can always, you know, run it and and literally spend your time fact checking it first. So you're running in real time with actual accurate information versus giving somebody a platform to spew lies. I think every journalist would agree it is not okay to give someone a platform to spew lies. And and 
So, it, it, but here's what they're balancing. For the balancing, it's a ratings getter, and the ratings yep. have not been better. And so, you know, that's that's the real problem. The real issue is nothing other than the ratings have not been better. That's it. Yeah, and and there is no after the press briefing, right? They just go back to their regular news. I mean, there is no point by point refutation of the lies that Donald Trump has told. Like, you know, this vaccine. He- well, and it doesn't, correct. And it doesn't even, um, so everyone will talk very hand-wringingly around, like, oh my gosh, it, it leads the next day of stories. But yet they don't actually, in real time, work to to fix and fix the problem that they're giving a platform to. Right. So, you know, one has to say, well, why does someone do that? And are they crazy? Do they not understand? It's been going on a long time. So clearly not crazy. They do fully understand. They like the ratings, period, full stop. And they're willing to put bullshit on TV if the ratings are good, period, full right. stop. This to me, and I don't know about you, reminds me of the 2016 campaign where Donald Trump's rallies, CNN covered her good network, covered every one of those rallies from start to finish, right? Every Donald Trump rally with all that bullshit and no other candidate could even get any airtime at all, right? And now they're now they're giving yeah, Donald so Trump the, the same, same platform. Right. And and so people say, will the media learn? It's you have to want to learn a lesson. And the lesson was we made a shit ton of money off of Donald Trump. So there's no there's no thing to learn. In fact, the more fighting you're in, the more of a debate. I mean, reporters often post when Donald Trump has said something nasty to them, right? Because they feel like, oh, it's a it's not a bad thing. It's a kind of a little bit of a badge of, of right, honor to right. some degree. So I don't think there's a lesson to be learned if you've made a ton of money out of pitching Donald Trump like you're doing an entertainment show, which is your biggest, craziest, over-the-top ratings getter, gets front and center all the time. And even if you have to put your camera on an empty mic stand, that is better than something else. So the other day, uh, you know, Donald Trump does this pivot after totally dismissing this, saying there was only five cases, it was going to be down to one case, this was a nothing burger, the whole thing. He suddenly came out and said, oh, I'm going to declare a national emergency. I happened to be there in the Rose Garden when he said that. And immediately, right, some people in the media said, oh, my God, this is what we've been waiting for. This is the true leader. Here is our friend, I'd love to get your response to, Dana Bash on CNN. This was remarkable from the president of the United States. This is a nonpartisan, this is um, an important thing to note uh, and to applaud from an American standpoint, from from a human standpoint. He is um, being the kind of leader that people need, at least in tone, today and yesterday, in tone that people need and want and yearn for in times of crisis and uncertainty. The kind of leader we want Soledad, (laughs) talk about a pivot, right? I think that we've seen this over and over again. And this time it's Dana Bash who's it, right? Which is everybody is hoping and pining away for a president to behave in a presidential way, which Donald Trump has never done historically, will never do. And it's just interesting to see the leeway that certain people give to certain people. 
right? That, that every day, I mean, I think it was Van Jones who at some point when the president was able to read off of a teleprompter without tripping over his teeth, <laughs> he said, you know, today is the moment that he became president, right? They're looking to declare. Also, let's keep in mind, you have a absolute ton of time to fill when you're on live TV. Right. I feel badly for Dana because this was so terrible. She got raked over the coals, I think rightfully so, because her what the media gets so confused. And I think she's a really good example of someone who doesn't so how someone comes across for the moment is such a ridiculously lame measure of what they do in their character, especially during a pandemic. But I would argue at any time. So this concept of today he delivered words in a tone, let's all agree, tone alone, she even couches it, his tone was what the American people need, what people are looking for. And she went on to say something like, we should applaud that. And I just, I was so disgusted for a number of reasons. One, it's like Lucy and Charlie Brown, right? Every single time this person proves to you And within, I think, 12 or 30, 24 hours, the president was back to tweeting disgusting things and mocking, I believe, Mitt Romney, who had got into um, uh, self-isolation. His wife, of course, is ill and wanted to make sure that he hadn't been exposed to COVID-19. So there was just no indication at all that, in fact, the president's tone symbolized anything other than him able to read something without messing it up. I, I just don't know... I I think that it's such an interesting psychological experiment of like, why would you want to believe that person could do it? Why does he get time after time after time today in the Wall Street Journal? um, There's a journalist who writes about if the president can rise above the pettiness and if the president can, you're like, he is the pettiness. As if, right? As if he were capable of doing that. And it's just time and time again. And it's not like, hey, listen, we're three months into his presidency. This has been the same way for three years, but also the history of Donald Trump himself as president of the United States. But even before he was president, this is what he did. So I I find it all very uh, perplexing because Dana Bash is a smart lady. She's not an idiot. Um, But what she said was idiotic. And I think she was rightfully raked over the coals for it. Uh, and and often I see um, journalists get up there and say these things and pronouncements about what they hope and want him to be. That it's just it's there's no evidence, and yet he gets um, opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to say something, and no one seems to look back at his history and point out that wow, this seems to go against everything else he's done for the last three years. Right. Now this is also the very same time, and again I was there when. Um you meet Alcindor, ask him and said, well, you, uh, you know, you shut down this office up for pandemic, how to respond. And do you take any responsibility? And that's where Trump famously said, I don't take any responsibility at all. Right. I didn't do it. And at which point before she could follow up and we've never seen this happen before, they shut off our mic. They turned off our mic and they did that yep. several times at that news conference in the Rose Garden where they would not allow a follow up question again. And the mm-hmm. media just rolled over. And so you over. would think that, right, and you would think that that for Dana, that actually might be an interesting thing to point out. So even if the president suddenly changed his tone, you would say, wow, but this other thing that's happened at this very same news conference, and by the way, even within that news conference or that press conference, he he, he, he talked about the Chinese virus. He yeah. was, I mean, he, he had a lot of crazy. So even in the 
whatever it was, one hour that you guys were all there, it wasn't like it was the most sane, different tone. It was for a moment, it sounded like he was trying to deliver a message. And he stayed on message for 35 seconds or whatever the amount of time was. So, you know, yes, you would think that the press would actually stick up for each other and, and, and follow up on that. And, and Dana would, or others, right, would sort of point that out, but they don't. And again, it's because this idea that anybody's learned a lesson, there's no lesson to be learned. It's how much money did you make? Period. When you look at, so this is the latest, um, latest episode, if you will, or latest uh, whatever, turning the page of the Trump presidency. But as you point out, this has been going on for a long time. So the Washington Post, which keeps track of this, I think the latest number I saw, 16,241 lies told by Donald Trump that they've been able to track. And that's those are things that they'll call lies, right? Because there's a whole other range of things that are like exaggerations, <laughs> right. not quite a lie. You'd really have to believe that he was being dishonest and maybe he didn't know, you know, so they don't they don't necessarily dip into those things that we might colloquially call a lie, but that technically aren't lies. Right. So the question is, what do we do about that? What should the media do about that? Point out everyone? I think people pat themselves on the back. Yes, absolutely. I think Daniel Dale is doing a great job tracking them. I don't think it's anywhere near enough to track them, right? I mean, as if somehow just tracking lies from the president is is enough. I, I think it's it's amazing to me that you track lies from the president, but you continue to book um, spokespeople, right? That, that they can literally lie to you. When, when I used to do a show uh, at CNN, actually, and even when I was at NBC, if someone lied to you, like literally overtly lied to you, like Kellyanne Conway lies all the time when she's on the air, you just wouldn't put them on TV. At some point, your right. your sense of self-respect would be like, you know, I, I can't have you on if you're just going to bullshit me. It just doesn't work. You know, I, I, I understand spin. I understand dodging. But at some point, I'm going to give you a platform. I'm going to push you hard. But you have to have a semblance of honesty. And I think what's happened is the media has really been so interested in having that kind of like craziness and debate that it's worth it to put people on, even if they're lying to the audience. And as we all know, when a lie is is given a platform, even if someone comes on afterwards to say, hey, I want to point out that that thing was untrue, you know, it's already gotten out there. It's been propagated and it's been chopped up and it'll live on social media. And so you don't, you can't just kill a lie by saying, hey, that thing that you saw five minutes ago or 10 mm -hmm. minutes ago or two hours ago, that was a lie. It's, it's great to track it, but really to what end? No. And with Kellyanne Conway, CNN at one time said, we're not going to book her anymore. And then they started booking they her book again. They book her all the time. Right? There was a time when she, yeah. I remember, oh, what, who was it? It was um, somebody else on CNN who, who actually was being paid by CNN who talked about how he didn't feel like he had to be honest when talking to the press. And the next day they had booked him on the air. So I think that what's <laughs> happened is people understand journalism has become a game. It's become a game. It's just a game, right? And, and nobody wants to call out racism. Nobody... Nobody wants to say this is racist and you're giving a plat. I, 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 you know, uh, every single time I retweet anything from the first lady, I'm like, she's a birther. And no one, CNN did an entire documentary on her, not talking about her birtherism, which, by the way, was on camera. She said it out loud on, on the set. It's just insane. But, you know, that's where we are. So it's a very disappointing time, I think, for, for, for me, certainly, and I think for lots of journalists. How do how do we deal with Donald Trump's tweets, or how should we? I mean, what 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 drives me crazy is I see so often 
on social media. People just repeat the tweets, yeah. which are just, again, pure bullshit, right? And, and pay so much attention to them. Should we just ignore them? Should we not report them? I mean, yeah, you, you know, know, they I, are I, coming from the president of the United States. I think kind of hard to ignore. Twitter has decided to, you know, you again, I think you can report things without giving them life, right? I mean, one of the things when we would do stories on white supremacists, you know, you don't have to give someone a live mic and a platform all the time. You can you can talk about what they've done and give it context. So in the middle of that discussion, you've got context as opposed to, hey, we let them talk for five minutes. Now I'm going to jump in and tell you what they said was wrong. So I, I think mm -hmm. I would handle the president's tweets the exact same way. This is something, he's the president of the United States. Obviously, you have to cover his tweets, but this idea that you have to elevate every single thing. I mean, entire shows are blown out every day, right? They start now with, good morning, everybody. The president tweeted last night, or the president's been tweeting this morning, and, and they, they give him the platform. And again, if it didn't rate well, if he wasn't a big draw in a lot of ways, right? If he wasn't over the top and crazy, and everybody has learned in reality TV, the one who grabs the weave and, and gets drunk and goes nuts, well, she's the one who's going to get paid the most money. So they've really learned this idea of like, that's going to be the crazy over the top compelling one. And there's not serving the public. Sometimes news can be a little bit boring because you got to just cover the important mm. policy issues and agendas. It's really about how do we how do we get something to be salacious over the top and crazy? And I think that's the biggest problem is that the media is really trying to sell something uh, and not really serve the public. I think it's pretty simple. Is anybody out there doing a good job covering Donald Trump, do you believe? Yeah, I think a lot of people. I mean, I, I often rag on the New York Times, but I think a lot of their work is actually sometimes very good. Um, I, think, I think CNN, sometimes their work is really, really good. I think the problem is that that uh, in leadership is probably the biggest issue. Um, you know, there's no they, they they can't say here's what we're going to do. We're not going to take these pressers. There's no reason to take the press conference he did today. There was no reason to take that. You could run it 30 minutes later, right? I mean, it didn't. It has. It's going to be inaccurate. If you really were trying to serve the public, you just hold it. You do a you know a, a, a fact check on it. And then you'd actually disseminate mm -hmm. and you'd also wouldn't cut away when the scientists come on. I think one of the most obvious things about uh, all of this is when the scientists come on off. I mean, MSNBC sometimes will cut away from the scientists. <laughs> you're like, you're supposed to be informing the public. So, you know, it's a bit of a game now. How do you um, I, I follow? I'm one of your one point one million followers <laughs> on Twitter. So I know who some of your uh, favorite targets are. Um what do you think happened to Joe and Mika? Uh, I Who think that one time I think that Joe was very solicitous of President Trump early on when he thought he could get in on the administration in some capacity would be my guess. And I have no inside information on this. And I think the minute it became clear that he was I mean, if you go check the record, the minute the president uh, announced Pence as his running mate, um, Joe got very cold on him. So, you know, I think he, I think a lot of people actually really saw their fortunes potentially tied to Trump, especially if they knew him well socially, right? It seemed like, hey, I could have an in. And you saw a lot of people have gone through the White House because they thought that they could kind of get something out of, you know, milking their relationship into something that would be useful for them. And uh, Chuck Todd on Meet the Press, not one of your favorites, huh? You know, partly because Meet the Press was one of my favorite shows ever. I mean, when Tim Russert did that show, he literally was like a god at, at NBC. And I'm not overstating it. I mean, he was worshipped. 
And I think he was able to figure out how do you hold very powerful people accountable when you're a powerful person and you're invited to their cocktail parties, right? And yet when they came on his show, he very much was like, this is my show and there will be no bullshit on this show. And, you know, occasionally I think there were moments when he failed, when Eiffel pointed out a couple of times. But I think ultimately people had tremendous respect. Like if you're going to go on his show, you have to bring it. What happens, I think, with Chuck Todd is that his line of questioning sometimes really fails. And I think he he is really afraid of following up and being really strong with people. I think he's afraid of his guest, actually. Uh, Chris Wallace at Fox News. I mean, he really is a pretty good master class and he's just not afraid of his guests at all. He just he literally allows no bullshit on his show. And you get the sense like if you're going to come on his show, you best not lie to Chris Wallace. Most of the time he really holds people accountable and he's personally offended if they try to bullshit him. And I think that Chuck has made it clear in other interviews. One, he described himself as being naive. Two, he has said um, that he, you know, he doesn't think it's his job to correct people's lies. I, I, I don't know that. I mean, I guess I just don't see eye to eye with that. I don't, I, I do think it's your job. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it's made the show less good, certainly. And I think it's made the show less reliable for information. And then I think just structurally, the arc of an interview often, you know, he's just afraid to go for the jugular and ask the person the tough question, and then you can kind of see that on the air. So it's disappointing, because, you know, I think that I'm just one of a zillion people who really wish that Tim Russert uh, was doing that show at this very important time. And we're talking with Soledad O'Brien um, here on the Bill Press Pod. She is hosting the show, Matter of Fact, with Soledad O'Brien on Hearst Television, also chair of the Starfish Media Group. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. And today's podcast was Soledad O'Brien, brought to you by the Teamsters Union of North America, North America's strongest, largest, and most diverse union of them all, with 1.4 million members across the United States and Canada, uh, engaged in just about every occupation you can think. They include vegetable workers in California, brewers in St. Louis, construction workers in Las Vegas, sanitation workers in New York, and 50,000 healthcare workers in Rhode Island and other states, all under the leadership of President James P. Hoffa. We salute the Teamsters, thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod, and direct you to their website for more information at teamster.org. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back with Soledad O'Brien here on the Bill Press Pod. Uh, Soledad, I want to go off in a totally different direction and ask you a little bit about your reaction to the Democratic primary. I mean, I'm thinking back to a couple of the specials you did for CNN, Black in America, Latino in America. Uh, So we started out the Democratic primary among all the candidates. Uh, There were three African-Americans. There were five women running, one Latino. And we end up with two old white men. What's that say about American politics today? (laughs) Yeah, you know, listen, I... The, the Democratic Party will wow. Lots of old white dudes <laughs> are getting ahead <laughs> this go around. And, and, and I think partly it's because it's an interesting time, right? For if you look at the polls about what Democrats are really looking for, they want someone who can unseat Donald Trump. So you might like somebody else, but you're actually going to vote for a person who you think can unseat Donald Trump. And so I think that brings you into the question of electability, which sometimes I think is very imbued with racism or sexism, because what does that mean exactly? Um, Why does someone come across as electable and somebody else doesn't? What does likable mean? I find likable is often correlated with with a, a woman, do we do we does she smile? Do we like her? Whereas men don't really seem to need to be likable. So I, I think it's disappointing. I think ultimately this needs to be a big wake up call for the Democratic Party, which is you need new blood and new blood that can get funding and really build. Um, kind of a a new party. It can't be a bunch of 80-year-old dudes who are uh, uh, holding the flag for the Democratic Party. It's just not going to work. Got it. And couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. Uh, You have so many things going on. It's hard to keep track of them all. But one of them is you have uh, produced uh, several great documentaries. The latest one I found really stunning, if not shocking. It's called Hungry to Learn. Uh, talks about a problem that I never knew existed, which is that there are a lot of college students and tuition so expensive, living expenses so expensive that um, they don't have they don't have any money left to buy enough food to eat hungry to learn. It's been shocking to me to see just how intense this problem is. One of the women in the film described it as uh, thinking originally that it was just a small handful of students and a very sad story for them. When in actuality, it's a massive number. Almost 50% of students who are polled said that they had been hungry at some point. So our documentary took a look at four students who were trying to make their way through college uh, and without enough money to be able to eat. Um, absolutely eye-opening. Each student struggling to try to get through. One young man, two parents, uh, not a lot of money, but you know, a very stable family. Young woman in the homeless system uh, in New York. Another girl from the Midwest um, who really just kind of runs out of money in the middle of the 
of the dock and um, and stops actually dealing with us altogether. And another girl from Pennsylvania, just on her own, really without much family. And to see their different circumstances, but all of them literally unable to eat was absolutely heartbreaking. All right. Hungry to Learn. And also, we will uh, put a link to the film Hungry to Learn uh, in the episode notes for today's podcast on the Bill Press Pod. Uh, finally, Soledad, how can people follow you, like me, follow you on Twitter? Where where do people keep up with you? Uh, at Soledad O'Brien is the best way to follow me on Twitter, and same on uh, Instagram as well. Um, and listen, I, I love being in a conversation, but I'm 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 tough. I mean, I, I feel like there's not enough people calling out <laughs> bullshit and racism, and just overt sexism. I mean, it's it's really sad. I, I'm very disappointed in in many of my journalistic colleagues. I, I don't like calling out people and saying that they're mediocre and they're terrible. But but if they are, I think then we need to name them. I admire you for doing it. Believe me, uh, and uh, you you make us you make us all proud to be journalists. All of that, O'Brien. So good to join you, and so good to talk with you again. It, the pleasure was all mine. Thank you so much for having me. And that's it for today's edition of the Bill Press Pod. Thanks so much to Soledad O'Brien, and thanks to all of you for joining us. I'm sure you enjoyed that podcast. Now you've got one more thing to do. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Bill Press Pod. Just go to wherever you're listening to this podcast, pull up Bill Press Pod, and click on subscribe. And if you are already a subscriber, we thank you. Now tell your friends to do the same. Sign up for the Bill Press Pod. That's it for now. Stay strong, wash your hands, stay safe. We'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.